0: Okay, today I'm going to talk, and the second one, of course, talked about blessings, so it fits right in, because I want to talk to you today about the last blessing. When you hear that word blessing, what comes to mind? Something vague? Something unreal? Especially since our society doesn't really use that word bless very much. I recently asked somebody what they thought of when I said, I want to give you a blessing. And the response was, oh, you'll pray for me, or, or maybe you'll give me advice about what God has planned for me. Okay. When I think of it, I think that it's a gift from God. And for once in my life, Google kind of agrees with me. Um, Google says that it's a favor or a gift bestowed by God, thereby bringing happiness. And dictionary.com isn't far off. It adds that blessing is a special favor, mercy or benefit, praise, devotion, worship, and even adds that it's a prayer said for a meal. So no matter where we look at it, blessing is definitely associated with God things now, what, we, what I want to find out is do any of these definitions cut it with the blessings that we find in Revelation? I'd like to spend the next couple of minutes t- looking at each one of Revelation's blessings in some detail and see what stands out. Of course, the very first thing that stands out is there are seven blessings. Does that surprise you? Of course not. Revelation is the book of sevens. There are seven amens, seven churches, seven spirits, seven golden candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven thousand slain in a great earthquake, seven heads, seven crowns, seven last plagues, and seven golden vials, seven mountains, and seven kings. Even the word Christ is mentioned seven times. So we get the feeling that there must be some significance to this number seven. It actually stands for God and his perfections. It's a sign of divine worship, completion, and obedience, and rest. Now this next part's going to be totally free. It was, it was a surprise to me when I realized that the number for... God, the Trinity, is three. The number for the earth is four. Do you think it's a coincidence that the number for earth, with its four corners, four winds, four directions, has been completed by the entrance of the triune God? God. Ah, I just got so excited. I had to share that. I think maybe the first thing before we get started in looking at them is we should list what those seven blessings are in Revelation. The first one found in Revelation 1-3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. The second blessing in Revelation 14-13, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on yes says the spirit that they may rest from their labors the third blessing in revelation 16 says behold i am coming as a thief blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame the fourth blessing is blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb the fifth one is blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no part. The sixth blessing found in Revelation 22, and behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy in this book. And the seventh blessing, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. As I'm sure you're aware of in studying the book of Revelation, it's a rather complicated book. It uses a lot of symbols, mainly to protect it, and given to a church to reveal Jesus at a time when persecution was rampant and could have easily squashed the beginnings of uh, the church. So it takes a little more study and prayer um, to attempt to understand this book. So I ask you to pause for just a second with me while we ask God's blessing on this study. Our Father in heaven, we've come here to worship and praise and adore you, and we want to look at some of the words you've given us from this book of Revelation. Help us understand what you've written there. Help us to understand and know you better because of our talk today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Now, um, I see the teach over here. I'm going to admit to you, I hate English class. (laughs) At least I did when I was in school. It was definitely not my thing. Comprehension, reading, literary style, no, no. Not my thing, even all the way through college. None of that was interesting. And I suppose that's why now, when I look at the literary style of Revelation, it really fascinates me. Um, the one that I'm talking about is the chiastic structure, which I'm not sure you've heard of, but it's, it's when some points or words are given, and then there's a central point, and then those same words or elements are given again in reverse order, so that it kind of brings emphasis to um, the main point. I'm very drawn to this chiastic structure, so today I'm gonna follow that. The whole book of Revelation is actually, can be laid out in that chiastic structure, and it would look similar to this. Revelation one being about the man, Jesus, and then there's the churches in Revelation two and three. There's a call in Revelation four and five. THERE'S A BOOK, OR YOU MAY THINK OF IT AS A SCROLL, IN REVELATION 6 AND 7. AND THEN WE HAVE A CALL, AGAIN, WITH REVELATION 8 TO 15. AND THEN WE HAVE MORE INFORMATION ON CHURCH, THIS TIME THE FALSE AND THE TRUE, IN REVELATION 16 THROUGH 20. AND THEN THE LAST TWO CHAPTERS OF REVELATION ARE ABOUT JESUS AGAIN, AND HIS BRIDE. NOW, IF I APPLY THIS LITERARY STRUCTURE TO Um, The blessings that I just told you about in Revelation, we get a little bit of a twist, what many scholars call the six plus one. Um, Actually, the first six blessings are in a chiastic structure and then the seventh is added for the special emphasis and would look more like this. First one, blessed for reading the book, blessed in death, blessed in keeping your garment, And then it's their counterparts, blessed at the wedding supper, blessed in death, blessed for reading this book, and the plus one, blessed to eat of life and enter the city. So now with that background, let's just look quickly at each one of these blessings. The first blessing, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near right off the bat before Revelation even gets started Jesus says there's a blessing if you read these words that I'm going to tell you about me but not only if you read even if you only hear Mm -hmm. remember that this book is written to the early Christian church uh, probably about 80, 90 um, when many were not able to read and so there's a special blessing pronounced first on the one who will read. In other words, if you're willing to read up front in the congregation, of the congregation, you get a blessing because you're willing to read. And understand, being in front of the congregation was no less scary at that time in history than it would be now. But the blessing comes through the same, even if you hear. There's no excuses. If you can't read, pay attention and hear the words. But the thing that impressed me a bit about this was that the second part where it says, and keep those things. Cherish those things. It initially tells me that there's a certain amount of doing involved here Um, and references a faith that does what pleases God. It's especially going to be highlighted in the next couple chapters where it's talking to the churches and giving them admonition, Mm, but that's a talk for another time. Um, I can hear Jesus pleading in this, though, saying, pay attention, listen to what's being said here. It's important. The The message found in this book was not necessarily to just give the reader strength and hope, but it was also to help them examine their lives and determine areas that might need a little bit of tweaking or correction. They weren't only supposed to hear the word, but also to keep it. In other words, the blessing would become more pronounced by the doing. As James says in James 1, to 25, be doers of the word and not hearers only. The doing, what faith inspires, Intensifies this blessing. Now, the first blessing's counterpart is number six, what's well, number six on our list? And it says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, after we've read the whole book of Revelation, there's another reminder that this wonderful blessing is there. It's not just reading and hearing, but heeding cherishing, doing. But I think that probably the word that stands out to most of you the most is that, behold, I am coming quickly. Do you translate that to mean soon? Yep, most of us do. But in that era, the word that's used and that we have translated quickly would really mean, or could also mean, suddenly. In other ways, this is probably more of what Revelation is referring to, especially since we're told later that um, Jesus would come like a thief. It's gonna come suddenly. It's not gonna be expected. Um, And I also remember, this is God speaking. And to him, a day is as a thousand years A thousand years is a day God's soon is in his perfect timing God's soon is not swayed by my impatience Um, I think the purpose though and the main point of this blessing is I am coming God is anxious that those that read and hear understand the words of the prophecy of this book and know that he is coming understand this advice there's a reason for this hear me i'm coming back um the first blessing says that we're supposed to read in here and in this blessing we're supposed to read in here because the time is near this blessing says i'm coming quickly this is the reason and it's given first it's kind of in the reverse order um It's, God's just so anxious for us to know that, um, and His promise is sure. So Revelation is not written necessarily just to satisfy our curiosity and give us a whole bunch of information about what's coming or what's gonna happen, but rather to encourage the reader and the hearer to stand steadfast unswerving in loyalty to Christ in the face of opposition and persecution. This is what the revealing of Jesus has pronounced. It's encouragement to choose loyalty to him. Now the second blessing comes quite a while after the first has been given. The first was given in the first chapter. The second blessing is way down in the 14th. We've seen all the admonition given to the churches. We've seen this grand um, worship service in a couple of chapters in Revelation, and then we've talked about the, it opens that scroll that's been sealed, there's a judgment scene, and right there, in that judgment scene, we're given another blessing. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. This, at first appearance, and and for most of my life, has been a very confusing blessing. Very paradoxical. How can dead be blessed? How can the dead be happy? I think I've come to realize that this blessing pronounced on the dead was more for the encouragement of those who remained. This church, the first church, early church, was losing a lot of members already, and Jesus hadn't come back. What's going to happen to these poor souls? Hope is given to them that the blessed who have died in the Lord, that the blessed have died in the Lord. It reminds me of a lesson I learned many years ago. It was soon after my mother's funeral. Losing mom. Never happy time, even when you expect it to happen. But there was a difference for me. You see, I had lost my dad several years before that, and it devastated me. Some of you who know me back then, it put me in a deep depression, anxiety. Um, I always thought that it was because... I was closer to my death. My mom's death, although it wasn't a happy moment, was not near as depressing. It wasn't devastating at all. I thought it was because I was closer to Dad, but I've come to realize that somewhere between the time my Dad died in 1990 and when my Mom died in 2002, I came to know Jesus or at least was beginning to know Jesus. Even though I knew all the doctrines, all the right words, I could quote you all these things about the dead knowing nothing and the dead would rise. When dad died, the devastation was still there. But when mom died, I knew Jesus. You see, blessed are the dead in Jesus. That's because Jesus makes all the difference yes they rest from their labors the dead rest from their labors and this kind of helps me look back to eden lost one of the first consequences or the most prominent i guess the one we noticed the most was that there was going to be death Um, and apparently there was a lack of restful um restful life sin brought anxiety And hardships that God never intended his people to know Um, the peaceful rest that we had on that first Sabbath was gone this blessing now is promising that the rest will come to those who died in the Lord even the curse of death Jesus still promised the rest Jesus conquered death and because of him I can rest the second blessing's counterpart was the number five, fifth one, found in Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second hath no power. Is this a woo-hoo moment? I mean, come on. Those who are in the first resurrection are blessed and holy. Those who died in the Lord were blessed. They died in the Lord, and when they're resurrected, they're holy. Kind of a surprise, but you see, according to Leviticus, it says that you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are created in the image of God and have the capacity to be holy when we reflect that image. It's amazing that the dead who die in the Lord are blessed. And at the first resurrection, they're pronounced holy. How did that happen? In I'm reminded of a vacation I took a few years ago. Um, I went to an old city set in colonial times. And they demonstrated many of the arts and crafts that most of us wouldn't even think of attempting to do in our arts and crafts classes of today. But the one that fascinated me the most was when the guy took a tube and he scooped some goopy gel stuff out of this oven and he rolled it and molded it and blew into the tube so that this gel became a vase and the vase glowed with color, almost rainbow color, reflected all this color. It was beautiful. And it all came from that glob of gel. You see, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Blessed and holy I am because I am his masterpiece. He resurrected me anew in Jesus Christ because I accept that victory over death has no power over me. Romans 11 reminded me, too, that if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Earlier in Revelation, it speaks of Jesus as the root and us as first fruits. Holy because we're connected to the root and we're nourished by that root because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, I am holy and will be with him, reign with him. What a blessing, <laughs> what a promise. Um, there's a time that I am going to understand life with no death. Amen. Not sure that equates up here yet, but being with him and is beyond words. Association with him, I am holy because of his grace and because I am reflecting him. This is a time for a hallelujah, at least. I mean, praise God, there's such a gift. But that's not the end of them. There's more. The third blessing follows pretty quickly after the second blessing had been given. And it says, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. All right, this is another paradoxical blessing. How can Jesus compare himself to a thief? He's coming just like a thief. How do you think that is? The suddenly part, remember we talked about? Does a thief ever announce his coming? Do you know when that thief's going to show up? no that's why he says to watch this blessing is given in the middle of the story or the the section of revelation where they're preparing for the final battle just prior to that first resurrection we talked about and it contains Jesus appeal to be ready and don't be deceived he's appealing for spiritual alertness for this great critical period of Earth's history. Blessed is he who watches. The book of Revelation and actually much of the Bible gives a lot of signposts so that watching for those things to occur brings a blessing that encourages endurance and faith. And I think this is why a lot of those things are given in Revelation and why we're told some of those things and you see them coming it encourages your endurance and faith to keep watching and to keep knowing that jesus is coming when you don't expect him like he told the disciples in Matthew 24 be ready all the time for you don't know when the son of man will come what about the second part of that blessing that one that keeps his garments lest he walk naked Ooh, ouch. Do you remember in Eden when um, the realization of sin first hit Adam and Eve? What was it that they noticed most about themselves? They were naked. Adam said, I heard your voice, and I was afraid because I was naked. Yep, I know all about my nakedness. It's pretty apparent in the sin I commit. So the garment I am to keep is available as I believe Jesus' words and am given his righteousness. Seems appropriate that this blessing is given at this point in Revelation because this is the time frame that covers the Laodicean church. And you remember that back in um, Laodicean they were counseled to buy from him white garments so that they would not be shamed. It Sort of reminds me, too, of that man in the parable found in Matthew 22. Don't have time to go into it, in a lot of details. You might want to read it again this afternoon. But he didn't think that garment was necessary. He could come in with just his fig leaf garments. They were sufficient to cover his nakedness, and he thought that he could get into the feast with just his fig leaves. You see, when Laodicea oh, sorry, I'd like to go to where Laodicea buys his garment. When Laodicea buys a white garment, that is evidence that the garment has been accepted. Buying equates with accepting the garment that Jesus provides. I hope you noticed also that in this blessing, the word keep is announced and indicates that it's something you already have and choose to hang on to. I recently did a little bit of house clearing. And yes, I do mean house clearing, not house cleaning. It was time to get rid of junk. I got as far as my bedroom closet. Um, I ended up deciding there were just too many things I had to keep because they were treasures. They still meant a lot to me. And I asked myself, What is it that I decide to keep or what is it that you decide to keep when you do your heart clearing? I hope it's that garment, that gift from God, the one that stands for righteousness, so that your nakedness or sin won't shame you. I found it interesting to note too that soon after this blessing is given in Revelation 17, talking about Babylon, which stands for Satan and his followers, it says that they have been left naked and desolate. That garment of righteousness that we keep seems to be extremely important. So now in our chiastic structure, we've come to blessing number four. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why do i say it's associated with number three i really like this imagery of the marriage supper of the lamb you know that one that required that provided garment the one that covers the sin and shame this marriage supper references a time when sin is gone when victory over the shame and nakedness i experienced when i first sinned in the garden and lost that garment, it's gone. I have hope in the rest of the verse that says these are the true words of God. As I contemplate being at supper with this lamb who takes away the sin of the world, I celebrate my victory because I believe and trust in the one who is my victory. This garment is kept as the qualifying element for entrance into the marriage supper. The fact that I choose not to drift away from that provider of the garment means that I have decided his garment gift is what matters most, and my fig leaves can fall by the wayside. I like the fact that the blessing is confirmed and emphasized in the invitation to the wedding feast, because it's based on the unfailing word of God. Have you begun to notice a pattern here? The first three blessings reveal what was lost in Eden and what I lacked in my pre-Jesus days. The next three blessings restore it. After reading, hearing, and heeding, the second coming to me is a real event. I can live like it's already happened. Amen. That's what faith in Jesus does in action. Amen. You see, the first consequence was the lack of rest and death. That was the first consequence that we found in Eden after evil entered, or what I shouldn't say the first one, but it was the one that was most prominent, that stands out the most. The next. Um, three set of blessings reverse that curse and turn them into blessings because of Jesus. The consequences of uh, that were suffered are reversed. Death cannot reign; it has no power because we are made holy, as we have become God's wor- as we are God's workmanship, and as that transforms us. The next set. Um, consequence that we talked about was the garment lost, nakedness being evident. So again, because of Jesus, this consequence has disappeared. We reacquire that lost garment that covers the nakedness that sin caused. This means that we have a right to celebrate. We are restored. We have the right to celebrate that feast as holy and righteous. I have to stop and let that sink into my feeble brain. All because of Jesus. I wish I had words that could really describe it, but my vocabulary is really lacking. I only imagine what that great celebration will be like. Many of you attended with us here recently the Agape Supper, and if you did, you remember how exciting is not the word, but how it brought us closer, and the feeling that you had of knowing this Jesus became more pronounced. But that pales in comparison, I believe, to what I imagine that marriage supper with the lamb will be when I get to eat the manna of heaven with all y'all, and we sit down together with Jesus. Another woohoo moment, <laughs> eating the bread of life in the presence of Jesus. This brings us to the end of our chiastic structure um, blessings, but definitely not the end of the blessings. The seventh blessing, that plus one, incorporates all the others and finally restores Eden's atmosphere to my soul. It's the one that says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Starts in reverse order, of course. Blessed are the ones who wash their robe. That garment that was necessary to enter the celebration feast has been washed. Revelation 7 tells us that it was washed in the blood of the Lamb. The salvation of God's people and their access to the new Jerusalem is the result of what Jesus has done. Because of Jesus, I eat the bread of life. Because of Jesus, I live in this city, that new Jerusalem. Now, if you think back to Eden and what it was lost, there are a few other consequences that we didn't really cover that I think this blessing touches on. God gives some specific directions to the participants in this fiasco. Um, The only curse is on that serpent. You know, he's got it travel on his belly and eat dust. Um, The consequence of sin to Eve is difficult childbirthing, and Adam's going to have to work really hard and sweat a bit to make a living. Even in these consequences, there's mercy. Death wasn't immediate, and having something to do (laughs) keeps our mind occupied and gives us purpose. However, as I see it, The major issue was found in the last verses of chapter 3 in Genesis. God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, in that he knows good and evil. And now, so he cannot perpetuate sin forever by partaking of the tree of life, eat, and live forever, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east entry of the garden, a flaming sword which turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. The worst consequence to me was that there was no more access to the tree of life, the gate to the garden was barred, and man was home no longer. I read a story recently of an old missionary and his wife who had served in Africa for several years. He felt dejected, discouraged, down in the dumps, alone. It was time to retire. And they were going to return home to New York City. Well, they found out that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt. The feeling of forgotten and alone intensified as they watched all the fanfare and attention that the president received as he was returning from one of his grand hunting trips. And as the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary realized even more fully he was forgotten. No one cared that he had given his all in the service to God. And then when they docked in New York, there was a band, several dignitaries, all to meet the president and make a grand hoo-ha of this return that he was coming home. The missionary was again taken back and discouragement intensified. He had served God all those years and not one person could come down to the dock and say, welcome home, thank you for what you've done. They made their way to their tiny little flat on the east side alone. And that night, it just hit him. He said to his wife, I can't take this. Why would God ignore everything we've done for him? Nobody was there to let us home. I can imagine his wife, or if I had been his wife, I'd say, okay, quit bugging me about it and go in there and talk to God. I think she was a little nicer than that. I think she just said, Why don't you go in the bedroom and tell God about it? And he did. After some time, he emerged from the bedroom, and the wife said, well, what happened? Oh, he said, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive such a tremendous homecoming while we were forgotten and nobody cared that we had come home. It then seemed like the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but my son, you're not home yet. (laughs) You see, this is what the book of Revelation is about. It's intended to remind God's people throughout history, this world ain't your home. We are not home yet. The day is coming, however, when we will be welcomed home and all of heaven will meet us as we return, the robes are waiting, the bands all tuned up, the feast is prepared, and your rooms are waiting. The last blessing is that evil is destroyed, the gate to the city that holds the tree of life is wide open, and I have right to partake of that tree again. I can come to the rest that's provided at home. You see, the last blessing is I get to come home amen. he who testifies to these things says surely I am coming quickly and everyone said amen, amen. even so come Lord Jesus